Welcome back to part two of our two-part series with Dr. Travis Parry of the Make Time Institute. In part one, we covered a lot of Travis's frameworks. And now in part two, we're going to go a little bit deeper into those to hear some practical examples of how you can make it work within your business and ideal life. You're going to jump back into a conversation where we're discussing how you can use your spouse as an accountability partner within living your ideal business and ideal life. And for advisors, you know, um, sometimes spouses are involved in the business, sometimes they're not. How, how have you helped advisors sort of think through how to involve their spouse? Because that, that would be a fairly intimate discussion. We, we often talk about it on the podcast from a client perspective, right? Where clients come in, we go through a values exercise and we witness them have these conversations about their joint values that they would never have. Um, you, you'd, it'd be hard to argue that the same wouldn't be true for advisors going home to their own spouse. And, you know, we, we hear people using our exercise to do that, but if they're not using our exercise, then where are they having that conversation? So how do you, how do you help them or how have you seen them work through that conversation together? So number one, what you guys are doing at Lumiat is incredible. You are the only place, only, where I've seen um, software that once I discovered, I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly, almost to the T, exactly what I help advisors do for themselves and their, and their spouses. But you're asking and giving support for advisors to help them do this with their clients. So that should be motivating them. Just like, you know, um, the, the whole cobbler's children scenario analogy of, well, the shoemaker doesn't have shoes for his children because he's too busy making shoes for everybody else, right? If advisors are, you know, not having those shared values conversations with their own spouses, you know, that, that is, that it, it, it's the same exact thing. It's the same exact problem. Um, again, this is what turned my entire life around as I examined my values. And then the next thing I did is I had my wife go through this exercise with me. We created this together. And as we did that, our intimate relationship, um, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, like everything financial becomes so much stronger because we identified where our values are and where they overlap. How, where are our shared values so much that that's actually my dissertation topic. When I did my PhD, I researched married couples and how shared their values were. So I'm going to geek out just a little bit. Please. And I'm going to basically, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I, I was doing a lot of research on, on marriage and again, couples and, and goal achievement and such. And I found out that couples that had a higher level of shared valuedness. <laughs> okay. So we'll take the term. Right. Trademark, uh, can that, yeah. Yeah. You, you can do that when you're a PhD is what I heard. Um, <laughs> that's what they told me. So what, when, when, when you have a higher level of shared values, okay. Uh, together versus the group that had much lower levels of shared values. If, if at all, those two groups, when we compared them, the groups that had higher shared values did better psychologically individually. Okay. So that means that good marriages 
that are connected, have high intimacy, um, you know, on this level of, of values, they, it's also good for them individually. And there's a lot of people sounding, well, marriage is bad for you. Marriage is bad. No, it's not. Marriage can be incredibly good if it's good, right? Now there are problems. There's divorce, there's depression, there's, you know, uh, there's abuse. There's things that happen when individuals have a bad relationship. I'm not going there, but when they have a really good connection, it's really good individually. Now two, we found that those couples with shared values had a really high level of marital satisfaction. They liked their partner. They really enjoyed being married. Well, that's very interesting, Travis. Well, here's the third piece. We also found not directly correlated, indirectly correlated, that couples who had the high levels of shared values also were much more likely to have um, shared financial goals that they achieved. So this is why it's good for advisors because they want the same things that they're giving to their clients. They want to achieve their goals. They want to be balanced in everything they're doing. They want to scale their business. That's all part of all aspects of life. But if not having these conversations, it's very difficult to really navigate. And uh, the benefits are there. Like the research is, is in there. I, I dumb it down in the book. I make it very simple, but I make a case at the end that don't do this alone. If you're stuck, you're out of balance. Um, start with the values exercise, create an ideal calendar. I get deep into time management, but if you're doing it alone, you're going to continually cycle. You're going to fall off the wagon. All of my coaching that I do with clients, my financial advisors involves their spouse. I involve them, their spouse. I don't just give lift service to it. Their spouse is involved all through the process to help them um, in order to keep the accountability. And what about, so that research is incredible. So thank you for geeking out for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, those of us that have, have sort of chosen a life without a spouse or, or it's not part of our plans? How do I find that accountability partner? You know, do they have to share my values? Is it as easy as having a sounding board? How, how crucial is that part? Yeah. So first thing, most people desire to have a spouse. If they don't, um, currently, it's their desire. I've seen the research on it. Most people want to be married. Even if they're not married, if they're living together, I have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. It's in, it's, it really is in our nature. Um, the last, um, so I'm going to answer in two parts to this, okay? The last research study that I did in my psychology degree, in my master's program, actually revisited Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are you familiar with Maslow? Okay. Yeah. So most people are like, oh yeah, I know Maslow. It's a 1940s theory. It's not a law, but everybody's like, oh, let's do this with Maslow. Let's do this. The, the reality is in 2010, psychologists, not family people, psychologists went back and revised Maslow's theory. And they said, hey, at the top of his pyramid, it says, that we reach self-actualization. Well, it's very self-focused. It's very individualized. They went back, and again, these are psychologists. These are not family people. They went back and said, the theory is not following the data. The data does not support this theory. Here's what it does support. And they fixed it. They revised the theory to say, hold on. At the very top of our 
pyramid, which starts with basic survival needs, uh, maybe a little bit relationships, et cetera. At the very top, the pinnacle of life is being a parent. And number two to that, having a spouse. Okay. This blew my mind. So I'm like, oh my goodness, here we are studying psychology. Here we are looking individually, but the answer to, to life's motivation is actually in family. That's why I decided to do the PhD in family. That's why I went that direction, not another degree in psychology. Okay. That's why I kind of jumped fields per se. So to answer that question, number one, it is our greatest desire. We want that. Now, if you're not in that situation right now, it doesn't preclude you from ever wanting in the future. If that is your reality currently, what I suggest is to use a friend, coworker, someone at a level playing field as you, not a boss, not a subservient. They're not going to hold you accountable. Um, a lot of you know, advisors like to do mastermind groups, and that's fun and good too, because a lot of times there's case study and this and another. You need someone maybe from a mastermind group who'd say, hey, can you keep me accountable to my personal goals, to my personal schedule? And I'm going to do the same for you. It's got to be a win-win equal you know, situation. Um, if you're married, there is no better person in the world to help you with that than your spouse, because that's why you're married. You're married to have this joint opportunity to grow together and develop. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So, you know, say you, we, we've probably gone to either end of your three things here. We've spoken a little bit about internal values and, and getting to understand what's important to self first. Uh, and then also obviously sharing that with an accountability partner, typically your spouse, um, uh, so that, you know, they can hold you accountable and they can share those values and goals with you because of the obvious benefits the, the conversation we haven't had yet is in between those two rocks is right. You know, organizing yourself to do all those things, which, you know, uh, speaking to a lot of advisors, that control of calendar control of what I do in a day is so important. Um, can you maybe talk through what, uh, what some of the framework in your book around how to think about that? Um, and for those listening, we'll, we'll link the, the book in the show notes as well. Um, but talk, talk through some of your learnings around how people go about structuring it, because I think everyone leaves a PD day going, all right, I'm going to make time for this. And then three, day, three days later, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. We've, we've, uh, we have done probably the most extensive research with advisors on this topic than anyone else. FPA in 2014 did a pretty comprehensive study of about 300 and some odd financial advisors about uh, what, what they struggle with when it comes to time. And a lot of it just exas you know, just looked up like the, the things that exacerbated our problems. And that was, you know, email, social media, paperwork compliance. Like those are the three or four that I hear every day from advisors are sucking the life out of their time. Okay. Um, so you have to be very proactive. First of all, you have to have a mindset like I am going to, again, I have the freedom as the three F's again, freedom to control my schedule. If they really believe that, then excellent. Then you can create a schedule. If you don't, 
then it's back to mindset. It's back to the psychology. It's back to your values. So if you do believe that, excellent, we can take the next step. And that is, well, let's actually create an ideal calendar. Now, most ideal calendars, they're focused on what? The business. That's it. That's all they do. Calls, client meetings. Yeah. 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 I was taught that like years and years ago when we very first got in, you have an ideal calendar and this is how you do it. Well, that's fantastic. But what I've discovered is that advisors that have an ideal calendar for all areas of their life for all 168 hours, 24, seven, seven days a week, they have balance because they make it happen. Instead of work being a, oh, I've got to hurry up and leave and so I can go home, uh, you know, and get my 80 hours in and pretend I'm only working 50. Okay. This is what I see all the time. They don't plan for everything. They show up late for events. They're not there to be with their family. Their family feels like, you know, they're running the business and, and leaving them in the dust. When they do come home, they're on their phones, you know, they're, they're multitasking. They're not present. And they're basically multitasking on the people that matter the most to them. So you've got to believe that that's important. That's the whole values priorities thing we do in the first part of the book. So creating an ideal calendar, I have 10 areas of life, which I outline, and you essentially go through a prioritization exercise and you outline which areas are most important to you. Yeah, but Travis, even if I did that, like work is still going to be my, my number one. I'm still going to spend 40 hours there. Fine. Welcome to the club. Like we, we do have to work a lot. Like it's, it's life, but 40 hours, most advisors are working more than that. The majority of them, three out of five are working 55 hour weeks. Okay. That's not freedom, flexibility, and finances. It might just be finances. Um, but if you can create a, a schedule to say, man, I only want to work 35 hours. I want to work 30 hours. Wonderful. Do it. Stick to it. If you think about it this way, most advisors are the most productive the day or two before they leave on a vacation. Why? Because time so important. Like, oh, I have a deadline. So what do they do? Like they do the most important things. Imagine if that's what we did every day, just did the most important things. I call this your work sweet spot. So in the book, I teach you how to identify where is that work sweet spot? How can you take your 60 hours of work that you, you know, you're probably doing and squeeze 20 to 25 hours out of it. Well, most advisors, they're only doing about 20 to 25% of their work sweet spot. They should be at 80 to 90%. Okay, they're at least a third of what they should be doing. Why? Well, because they justify, I'm doing research and they're on social media. I am, uh, which Bill Murray calls um, advisor porn. Okay, like <laughs> it's addicting. Like you just, you love it because yeah, I want to help people, right? So you justify, oh, I do paperwork. I can pay someone $15 an hour to do that, right? Like I do this, I do this. If you don't ever have an accountability for what you do, you'll never know what you can do to, to, to decrease the time. So track it, figure out where you spend your time, prioritize the time at work. The extra time that now you have that you say like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore because I'm only going to work in my top five or six activities, which I call your sweet spot. Take your five or six activities, put that into your business category. And these are the only five or six things that I'm going to do, period. Say no to everything else. If you can't say no to it, at least delegate it at a very high level to someone else. Outsource it, automate it, whatever you can do to get rid of those things. Just focus on what you do well. Then you'll have much more energy at work. You'll be excited. 
you'll be excited to come to work and you'll be excited to leave because in the other hundred and uh, what is that? 128 hours a week. Now you can schedule sleep, exercise, meditation, um, time with family, time with, you know, your friends doing fun things. You enjoy fun and rec hobbies, schedule all of that time. Well, Travis, that sounds like a lot. Well, it sounds like a lot because you probably don't have a system. And if you want to be effective, you don't want to just pretend like you're changing your life. If you really want to do it, you'll do a system and you'll have a personal and business system that work together. And once those work together, it becomes automatic over a few years. And for me, you know, I don't schedule things uh, on the, on Friday. I don't have appointments with clients on Friday. Um, one exception is if I'm a Monday holiday and, you know, I will schedule on a Friday once in a while, but, um, I don't work Fridays. I work four days a week, 30 hour weeks, take 12 weeks of vacation off. Why? Cause we schedule it and we get it done and I'm productive in that time. We outsource delegate and get rid of everything else. I know that's a lot, but if you go through in the book and you do the whole ideal calendar exercise, you will actually have ultimate clarity and a system to help you get it done. So if I can pick up on one thing there, um, that all sounds excellent. And no doubt this is uh, probably rising energy for our audience going, right, I'm going to go get it done. I'm going to outsource. I'm going to delegate. I'm going to schedule. Then the next, the next day, paperwork that they should have delegated comes on their desk again. And you're like, oh, it's just this one, just this one. You know, maybe the office is changing your behaviours. How important and how, how important and how is setting boundaries to those around us, to, to us internally, to, to avoid that next bit of paperwork that we probably didn't want to do. All right. So here's the psychology part. Okay. Cool. I throw this in at the end. Uh, the last chapter of the book, I talk all about fear. Most of us do things out of fear. We can set our values with priorities and we can be all excited, like you said, Mark. But the problem with motivation, like I can be excited about it because I love doing this. This is my thing. I'm going to geek out on this all day long, right? And you guys geek out on financial advising for your clients and you love it. Great. But we, we all know what happens. Your clients leave your office. Are they excited to do that estate plan? They're going to go work with their attorney to get their wills and trusts put in place. They're going to go meet with their accountant the next day and do their tax planning. Probably not. Why? Because they're only motivated by fear. They're only motivated. They're like, when it comes time to, oh no, we got to meet with our financial planner. And he's going to ask us about those things. And we got to hurry up and do that before we get into that appointment. They're motivated by fear most of the time. Why? Because we're human beings that are emotional. And subconsciously, a lot of us have fears that are stuck. They're stuck in our subconscious that basically train our habits and behaviors. A lot of great books, Atomic Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People about getting great habits. They don't go deep enough. They don't go into the psychology of the fear trap. And what I do a lot of times, consultations with advisors, my team with advisors, is we try to identify where are your fears? Where, where do they come from? Why are you doing these things? Let's try to break that cycle. Let's try to break those fears. In my next book, I'm going to go deep into that. But in this first book that we did, we just touch and scratch the surface and say, basically, there's a fear tree. This fear tree is built and has roots deep in your 
in your early childhood, a lot of times in teenage years where you're on sports teams, you don't want to let dad down. Um, you, you did bad at school and your mom berated you. Like on and on it goes because parents, unfortunately, tend to parent out of fear. They want to get things done. They want your kids to behave. So they give them ultimatums. They use anger. They use other manipulative behaviors that we're okay with in society um, a lot of the time. And that has permeated them. But what they don't understand is that is a developmental thing that then focuses on that child that they take the rest of their life. And they grow up, they become adults, and we shake it off. No big deal. It's in your subconscious mind. So when you go to make that higher and you go to delegate something, we may not do it because we're afraid. Ah, that person I just hired is not going to do as good as I'm going to do it. I can't hire this person. I want to have enough funds to do it. I, I need marketing, right? We tend to make these emotionally based decisions out of either a fear of failure that we're going to mess up, blow it up, ruin it, or a fear, fear of success, making it really basic. There's a lot more to it. But it's usually those two, fear of success. Oh man, if I become successful, people will think of me differently. Or, um, you know, I might not act the way that I should act because I have a lot of money, right? If you don't believe me, look at your own clients. Fear of failure. I don't want to dump my money into the market. Look what's going on with it right now. I'm going to lose everything. Fear of success. Uh, I don't want to have too much money because then there's estate planning and accounting things I got to worry about. Like, there's a fear of success there. And so sometimes they won't follow your advice. So where if we go really deep into the psychology of this, Mark, I find that most advisors, they might set up these great plans. They might do all these things, but they need a lot of times a coach like myself to help walk them through it, identify where they're struggling, where their fears are so that we can get past those. And quite honestly, that's why I'm writing book number two. <laughs> book number two is on the heels of achieving balance. We're calling it balanced growth. And you can achieve balance, but if you're trying to scale and you're trying to achieve all your, the goals in your life and you've got a plan set up, you got to really tackle the psychology aspect of it. You've got to really dive deep and figure out and deal with your limiting blocks and beliefs and get those under control cope with them, get rid of them eventually over time through the system that we, we talk about in book number two. Um, but that's honestly a long answer to, to a really precise question that I hope um, that, that the audience can kind of connect with and go, yeah, you're right, Travis. Like I, I do make a lot of decisions based in fears. And if you don't believe it, they're not conscious fears, they're subconscious and they tend to, they tend to control how we, how we operate. That's awesome, Travis. You know, you shared so much with us um, on the podcast. We've we've covered, you know, what are the reasons people even got into this industry in the first place? Because that reflective exercise is is where we find our true purpose, our true values. We've dove really deep into um, the you know the frameworks that you talk about in your book, Achieving Balance you know, helping understand your internal values and goals first, creating an ideal calendar that, that spans the gamut of everything that you want to achieve, not just your work goals and utilizing your spouse as an accountability partner, you know, with all the underlying psychology and, and all the fun bits underneath it. If I could um, selfishly ask you for, for one more thing, 
Um, we often ask our guests uh, to leave us with one tip. So we've got a, a ton of values-based advisors that are listening to this podcast. And no doubt as they, they, um, they listened, they were reflecting on their own internal values. What would be one tip that Dr. Travis Parry would give them around how they might start leaving this podcast? Probably the one thing I can think of that, you know, you guys are already on a good track, right? You're already values-based. You already want to help it, you know, your own clients with their purpose, with their priorities and their goals in their life. It's wonderful. Make time for yourself. It's not selfish. It's really self-preserving. So if you make time for yourself, you can work on your own personal systems. You can work on your own life so you can create this balance. You're going to be a better dad, mother, you know, brother, sister. You're going to be a better em uh, employee, employer. However you're situated there, be a better advisor because you'll walk with a, <laughs> a spring in your step, as they say. You'll have a twinkle in your eye. My one of my very first clients, Michael, um, in his testimonial, which you can find on my website, travisbray.com forward slash coaching. Michael said that as he started into the coaching with me and he really started making these changes, he started making time for himself to do this. It was a return on his investment. His own few hours a week he spent on, on this part of his, his life brought back at least 10 to 15 hours back. That's a great investment. Sorry, advisors, you can't really promise, you can't really guarantee, but I can. <laughs> I can guarantee you spend a few hours a week working on yourself, you'll have an awesome return on investment in your life, in all areas, and people will notice. His wife notices he and his spouse had a better relationship because of it. They spent more time together, which is the number one factor in improving a relationship, time together. Travis, why aren't you a therapist? Well, it's because I want to help people with their time so that they can work on their relationship. Um, so I, I really believe it, Mark. Spend time, make time for yourself. Um, set aside uh, a few hours a week where you can work on these personal systems and really achieve the balance you deserve. Thank you, Travis. I think that's a, a great note to end on. Take time to, to spend on yourself and, and look after yourself. Um, it's not selfish, it's self-preserving. Um, I love that. Thank you so much, mate, for spending this time with us. Um, no doubt our audience is going to leave here with a ton of great tips. Uh, one last plug, Achieving Balance, uh, available on many platforms, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll chuck some links in the show notes for you. And no doubt our audience will be eagerly awaiting book two. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. <laughs>